Hello and welcome to another episode of Retrospection, a podcast in which we load up a movie into our critical gun, spin the barrel, take a shot and hope it hits the target and isn't a dud. My name's Colin and would you like to try England's free dental cure or are you going to answer my question? Are you doing normal wisdom again? Nope, having a stroke. Oh, I thought I was something like that. Uh, and I'm Paul, and uh, nice and gentle, love. I'm not kinky. <laughs> In this episode, we're taking a look at Brannigan from 1975. Chicago Police Lieutenant Jim Brannigan is sent to the UK to escort organised crime boss Ben Larkin back to the US. But Larkin's hitmen prepare an ambush for Brannigan. Well, you say they prepare an ambush. Oh, well, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> it stars John Wayne as Brannigan, Richard Attenborough as Commander Swan, Judy Geeson as Jennifer, Mel Ferrer as Fields, James Booth as Charlie the Handle, Brian Glover as Jimmy the Bet, Don Henderson as Geef, and those last three, they're in it for like five seconds, really. <laughs> There's quite a few of that, isn't there? Yeah. And blink and you'll miss it, Tony Robinson as the motorcycle courier. He's got a massive role. Yeah, with a, he's got a giant helmet too. It's very, um, it's very, uh, is, it, is it orange or gold? I'm colorblind, remember? Uh, it's gold. Is it gold? Right, yeah, okay. I think. A big gold helmet. I'm relying on memory now, so I think it's Very gold. young, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, directed by Douglas Hickox, who also did Sitting Target. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, Oliver Reed, Edward Woodward, Ian McKellen. Oh. Ian McKellen. Not Ian, like no, Ian McShane. Say. Ian McShane. Yeah, Ian he, McShane. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, Oliver Reed is a, a criminal who's in jail, and the only thing that's keeping him going is the thought of going home to his wife, who is Jill St. John, which would keep you going. Yes. But then she turns up and says she wants a divorce because she's seen somebody else. So he escapes from jail, and the rest of the film is him trying to kill her, and Edward Woodward is trying to track him down. Right, okay, close it up. We'll do that one instead. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a cracker. Yeah, he also did Sky Riders, which is uh, James Coburn Mm -hmm. recruits a team of hang gliders to (laughs) rescue... An industrialist wife and daughter being held by terrorists in a tower. Ah, hence the hand glider. <laughs> yes. Right, okay, I wonder what, why that was going to be relevant. <laughs> and, he, and he did Zulu Dawn, the prequel to Zulu. Oh, the one that isn't as good. Yeah. Right, and the okay. music is by Dominic Frontier. It's, it's, a, it's a good score, you've got to say, haven't you? Yeah, it, it is, it is, it is. Uh, it's got that 70s feel to it, hasn't it? Well, the whole film does, but the score in particular, I think. It's very funky in places. Oh, yeah, it's very funky. Although I felt, I, at times, I felt I was watching 70s porn. I thought I have a closed mouth. No, I mean, not that I do. I, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. You mean porn played by 70-year-olds? <laughs> I've never seen that either. Didn't even know it is existed. It, isn't that called Gilf or something? Wasn't that an alien from Melmac who... Uh... <laughs> I think you'll find that was Alf. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it wasn't Gelt either from Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, all right. Yeah, I think though, out of this kind of uh, soundtrack and John Wayne films, I prefer the one for McHugh by Elmer Bernstein. They're kind of similar though, aren't they? Uh, El- Big Bernstein, bombastic. Kind yeah, of. Bernstein's is a bit more horny. <laughs> oh, I know you like the old. <laughs> yeah, I like it horny. I know you do. Yeah. 
this is um this is John Wayne's least successful movie, wasn't it? I did apparently. not know that. Least successful out of wow, that's that's going some considering he did what two hundred and fifty of them. This is true, yeah. But he he only really did two cop movies, didn't he? Yeah, the one previous to this, McHugh, and then this. And that's it, yeah. And apparently he said that if he'd have known McHugh was going to perform as badly as it did, he would never have done this one either. Oh, McHugh didn't do well either. No, but it, mm. but this one did worse. Oh. All right. Mm. Interesting. Uh, some scenes for this film were shot inside the Garrick Club, which usually doesn't allow filming. And they only agreed because Attenborough is a member of the Garrick Club. And you know that this Garrick Club's not changed a bit since they filmed in there, has it? Probably not. It look, looks exactly... Probably some of the same people are still creaking around in there. <laughs> yeah, just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is he dead? I don't know. Go up and check. We're not allowed to, sir. <laughs> just just, just wave a scotch under his nose. He'll, if, he's, <laughs> if he's alive, he'll move. <laughs> uh, John Wayne turned down Dirty Harry. Yeah, and um, and then regretted it a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, and I guess that's why he churned out McHugh and Brannigan quickly. Because, you know, McHugh is very similar to Dirty Harry films, and this is, but also it's like Coogan's Bluff as well. Yeah, and I think politically, though, they're very different. They come, they come in from very different standpoints, don't they? Dirty Harry is very much anti-establishment, whereas he's all about the establishment, isn't he? Brannigan. I don't know, but both are very right-wing. Yeah, they are both right wing, but I always get the impression that Dirty Harry is more um, stick it to the man as well. I know, because in the beginning of this, and we'll go into it, he does, you know, threaten to shoot somebody with a gun that he's taken from the evidence locker room that's, unre- you know, unregistered. And so he's Would not he do a- it then? Would he do it then? Do you I, don't, I don't think he'd do it, but he, you know, threatens the person with it. Mm. Mm, true. So John Wayne seems to divide a lot of people. What's your feelings about him? I can I can most of the time separate a person's political views and a person's um, actions and opinions outside of their work from the work itself. Right. I kind of do that with John Wayne as well because he was quite right wing. Yeah. He, he had certain views. Especially during the uh, McCarthy period. Oh, yeah. It, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, this film was written by Chris Trumbo, who was um, Dolan Trumbo's son. Mm. And um, he was blacklisted, wasn't he? And, and John Wayne was heavily involved in all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, but the thing is, he's incredibly watchable and he's made some really good movies. Yeah. I kind of agree with you about that, that he's not someone I would like to spend any time with in real life. Oh, God, you know, no. you know, we have totally different political views, but, you know, he did good films. Like, he, he did a lot of rubbish, but out of 250 films, you're going to hit it on the nail quite a few times, and he did. Uh, even the rubbish, he's watchable, isn't he? Yeah, there's something about him, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you, you turn on the TV, it's Sunday afternoon, a John Wayne film's on, you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to watch this. Yeah, because you'll get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you should say that you, you wouldn't want to uh, sit down with the guy. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't want to sit down with us either. No, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine we'll have much in common with John Wayne. No. no. <laughs> uh, all right. So do you have anything else you want to say or shall we just get on and play the trailer? Uh, I was just going to say that apparently John Wayne was um, suffering from heart problems and recovering from pneumonia when he made this movie. But you, yeah. you would never tell, would you? No. No, you wouldn't. I mean, and it's sixty-seven years old. He's quite spry. Yeah, yeah. Especially for so- it, someone who's going to die a few years later. 
that's true. What is it? Five years later, he died. Yeah, something around that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, he is. He's supposed to be playing late fifties when he's actually um, late sixties. Yeah. In this, but I don't know. You kind of buy it, don't you? Even when he's knocking around twenty-year-olds, you still kind of buy it because it's John Wayne. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. If you want to play the trailer, okay. Here we go. The Duke is back. John Wayne is Brannigan. Knock, knock. You got no rules. A tough Chicago detective who's pounding a brand new beat. Brannigan, you're a public menace. I told you I wanted that big Irish. Police, son, follow that car. The Duke's in London. And London will never be the same. John Wayne is Brannigan. He likes to hurt people. I made some real improvements since I was last year. Thank you. He covers the city from Scotland Yard. The Home Secretary blowing his top, demanding to know what kind of a lunatic I've turned loose. To Tower Bridge. Oh, nice! Well, the view from the bridge was terrific. Seeing the sights. I can pay 25 grand to get me that view. Meeting the people. Would you like to try for England's free dental care, or are you going to answer my question? Enjoying the nightlife. Chicago, you know, Brannigan. That's right, Commander. You can't buy a decent hamburger anyplace. I wouldn't. Unless you want to sing soprano. There were only three things wrong with the Yanks. Overpaid, oversexed, and over here. Damn! That cuts it. Oh! The Duke's in London. God save the Queen. John Wayne is Brannigan. So that was an interesting trailer. It was, yeah. Um, I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I, I was interested that it had a censored bit on it, the one I saw, where the audio drops out because there's a swear word. Really? Does that? Yeah. Is this a um, an American trailer or a UK trailer, do you know? I don't know. A general one. Yeah, just a general trailer. It's weird. It's where uh, uh, Larkin is referring to him as a big Irish bastard. And in the trailer, he says it's a big Irish. And then it all goes quiet. <laughs> You're like, why did you Can't choose that? There's not really a lot of bad language in this movie, though, is there? Not really. No. All right, should we go on with the show? What, you, you get to do some singing, dancing? What? All of the You're you going to throw your tights on again, Colin, are you? No, I'm not. Have I have you washed them. I haven't taken them off. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Can we talk about Brannigan then? <laughs> <laughs> so we open with the MGM Lion and then the good old UA logo. I thought I'd put on a Bond movie by mistake for a second. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Well, I'll there just is something watch. about Yeah, there's something about that UA logo, isn't there? As soon as it comes on, you, you, you settle in for a Bond movie. Yeah, I always associate it with that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they made other films. Well, they made this one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the camera tracks across a gun. It's a Colt 38 diamond back. Mm-hmm. Thanks cl- for that for all, for all our gun listeners out there. I only know it because Swan mentions it later. Right, okay. Uh, close-ups of bullets and the barrel, and we get the word Brannigan in yellow, and the soundtrack kicks on with the trumpets and gets really funky as the camera really focuses on this gun. It's quite a good opening sequence. It's very Dirty Harry-ish as well. Yeah, also very Sledgehammer. <laughs> it does really, yeah, that- <laughs> Do you know what? I was I was watching it. I was thinking, this reminds me of something. I couldn't nail it. That's oh, what you've it just, is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that's where they kind of got the idea from. <laughs> and uh, do you know what, as well? Even though I've seen this film before, you don't kind of expect Richard Attenborough's name to appear on the credits, do you? Because it's like, Richard Attenborough's in this with John Wayne? Really? <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it is an odd combination. It is. Yeah, it works, though. Yeah. We'll talk about it, but it works. So we cut to a Chicago police car traveling along a freeway, and then we cut to Captain Moretti in his office on the phone, and he's telling somebody, get me Brannigan, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so everybody is looking for Brannigan. Yeah. We cut to a derelict warehouse district, and there's a guy inside, and he's making money on a printing press, and Brannigan kicks the door down, and he goes, knock, knock. Now, you know that this, um, this gag was used again? Years later in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yes, I do. Predator. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not as good, though, but... No, funny that they did it, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that, do you think that was intentional? Uh, I mean, clearly no one saw Brennigan. I know, it's a weird <laughs> film to pick something from, to yeah. emerge it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. So he's looking for lurking. And he threatens this guy who's called Angel by showing him a gun in a bag. It's untraceable. He can shoot this guy, dump the body, and nobody would even know. But mm-hmm. hey, this guy's not buying it. Brannigan now gives the guy five seconds to tell him where Larkin is. Angel tells him he doesn't know. Brannigan puts the gun down and calls it in. Angel, seeing his chance, grabs a weapon. Oh, he's going to blow Brannigan away. But it's not loaded. Brannigan whacks him with a pipe, ties him up, and walks off. <laughs> It's a great moment when he picks up that pipe and just smacks him right in the face, doesn't he? <laughs> and the sound effects of the whack are just so over the top. Yeah, right. You, you in really... fact, whenever he hits anyone in this movie, it's it's full on, isn't it? <laughs> you really like your over-the-top sound effects. I've mentioned them before, haven't I? Yeah, every film. I-, I wish I had them in real life. You do? Yeah. What is it with sound effects and footsteps? You ever notice that in Hammer films? They're always really crunchy and loud. They're always really crunchy and loud. Or if they're walking on like stone Concrete. floors, it's really la- really tappy. Yeah. I wonder why that 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 used to be a thing and it isn't a thing anymore. <laughs> Maybe we should Do people bring walk it. different now. Yeah, we all walk lighter. Gravity's well, different. You, you might, you might. Pulling me down. <laughs> like, oh, look at his footfalls. How are we going to copy those? Uh, get this big weight and just drop it on the ground. <laughs> I'm losing weight actually. Yeah, but outside... Oh, thank you, just dismiss it like that. Thank you very much. Thank You're you, welcome. <laughs> You're doing great. Outside, a cop car pulls up, but they're not here to pick up Angel. They're here to take Brannigan in because there's an APB out on him. Mm-hmm. And as they drive away with Brannigan in the back seat, the music kicks in again and the credits continue. I love the look of 70s cop movies, don't you? It's just yeah. something about yeah, it doesn't matter whether they're in London, Chicago, New York, they always look really good. They do, they do. They, they just drip with atmosphere, don't they? Yeah. You always get the impression that they probably smell a bit as well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, 
You don't know where I was going with that, do you? No, I just noticed the colours changed on your video. You've gone all vivid. <laughs> Does it look good? I don't know. It's weird. It's like everything's gone brighter and the colours are stronger. <laughs> wow. I told you, I'm, I'm looking good these days. Yeah, you're, you're orange. Yeah. <laughs> That's the liver failure. <laughs> hey, okay. <laughs> So they, they take Brannigan to O'Hare International Airport, not to a police station. Captain mm-hmm. Moretti meets him there with a packed bag. They're sending Brannigan away. Turns out Larkin is in London and Brannigan has been sent to bring him back. I can't imagine that uh, John Wayne was a fan of what he would probably refer to as sissy limeys. Oh, well, I, I saw a behind-the-scenes interview and he seemed to be enjoying himself. What, in London? Yeah, yeah, because he, he was like, there was a German interviewer talking to him and he was saying how much he it was his first film that he'd made in england although he'd been in england before doing back projection work on a film that they were shooting in spain but to film an actual whole film in london this was the first time and that he really enjoyed working with the uh, british film crew because they're very professional but they like a good laugh and a tea break uh, yeah and a drink yeah <laughs> so so you know he seemed to be okay Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So I, he, did like, I, I did like the fact that um, as they send him off on this trip, they give him five hundred um, pounds in expenses. I'd hate to think what the uh, exchange rate for that would be now. Yeah, they give him five hundred quid. Yeah, they give him five hundred quid. Isn't that rather a lot for nineteen seventy-five? Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. He's like woo. He wouldn't get that now, would he? No. If he was exchanging dollars for pounds. <laughs> He'd get a voucher and a pat get on a, the back. And a cabbage. Yeah. <laughs> so he boards the plane and then we get shots of the London skyline. The music switches oh, yeah. to organ music. What, what organ? Oh, Mr. Hammond. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you see, it's like a, look, it's England. Look, it's the Tower. Look, it's Parliament. Look, it's the Queen. <laughs> yeah, well, at least it doesn't say, like, films now where they show you a picture of Buckingham Palace and then they go, London, in writing at the bottom, <laughs> as if, like, you're too stupid to know where the location is. The ones that make me laugh the most are the ones that go, London, England. Yeah, Paris, <laughs> France. Oh, no, Paris, <laughs> Texas. Oh, sorry, I always confuse the two. Yeah, the big fucking Tower gives it away, yeah, doesn't like, it? <laughs> Oh, yeah, this Paris is rather warm and there's a lot of cacti. Cacti? Yeah, plural of cactus. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Probably. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Some of our <laughs> listeners, once probably. Again, once, once again, another heavily researched <laughs> episode of Retrospection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're staying on brand. Come on. Good. So we see the Dorchester Hotel. Mm-hmm. A man steps out of a group of others, and they seem to be like bodyguards, And but he decides to walk rather than take his car, and so now he's followed by his Rolls Royce and a police car. Now, this is Larkin, mm-hmm. the main villain, and with him is Melvin Fields, his lawyer, sometimes called Fields or just Mel, depending on who's talking. Mm-hmm. He tells Larkin that Brannigan is on his way to take him back. Larkin says he wanted that big Irish bastard killed, and he's not leaving London. Now this this actor that plays um, Larkin, John Vernon, he um, he actually played the mayor in Dirty Harry. Mm. Yeah, I remember. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's I mean he's in loads and loads of stuff. I mean, um, do you remember <laughs> one of the things he was probably most proud of was do you remember the um, late eighties TV series War of the Worlds? Uh, 
Vaguely, yeah. It was one of those videotaped shows. Videotaped, right? yeah. Came on ITV at like midnight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was in that. Oh. What did he play in that? Uh, um, an army guy. Oh. Like a general. Okay. He's a general type, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's a general type. <laughs> just, just, he should play anybody. <laughs> he did, he did, yeah. I like him, though. He's a good actor. Yeah, he is. He, he always plays, like, angry very well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, pent-up aggression. And authoritative. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Phils points out that it doesn't matter if Brannigan is killed, they'll just send somebody else. But he has a plan to get Larkin out of the UK and vanish through Ireland and then onto somewhere like South America. And so she put out that Larkin is pretty high up in organized crime. Mm-hmm. So no, Larkin's not impressed with this plan. He doesn't want to spend the rest of his life eating bananas. Yeah, I couldn't work out whether this was racist or not. No, bananas are grown in tropical climates. It just came off as a bit odd, I think. Yeah, you, do you think there's other things to eat? What you're yeah. suggesting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Mm. Fields points out that a jury can't touch him in South America. As they walk, Fields explains the plan and how Larkin's money will reach him. Larkin says that those bananas will taste better knowing that Brannigan is dead. They do make great use of London in this movie, though, don't they? Yeah, a lot of locations outside, <laughs> walking around, yeah. And it's yeah. interesting to see 70s London. I always enjoy seeing 70s London. It's so freaking dirty. It does. It, it felt like I was watching an episode of The Sweeney or something like that. That's ah, well, I will talk about that at the end. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Phil says he's hired Gorman, a professional hitman. Now, when I say professional, let's put some inverted commas around that word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever do you mean? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. So, Brannigan's plane lands. McCall goes out through the airport for Brannigan. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Garman is also coming through the airport. Uh. <laughs> Business or pleasure, Mr. Garman? Strictly pleasure, he says. Could he look any more dodgy than what he does? Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got the evil sunglasses on. <laughs> right, <start>. right. In, <laughs> in rainy England. Mm-hmm. He's all serious and moody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you wouldn't let him in, would you? No, I wouldn't. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, I don't know why you asked me. It's not my idea. I don't get to choose. <laughs> so Detective Sergeant Jennifer Fletcher meets Brannigan, and he compliments mm-hmm. her. She tells him that Commander Swan is handling the details of Larkin's extradition, and Fletcher has been assigned to watch over Brannigan. She calls him um, Lieutenant. Yeah, they all do that. They, they yeah. emphasize the British pronunciation of the word. When I was a kid at school, this always used to wind me up. Why? Well, you're so used to watching American movies and TV shows that would say lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said it once in, in class, and I got told off by the teacher. Well, so you should. That's not how it's pronounced in England. It's lieutenants from the French. Yeah, no one told me that, though. Well, she, clearly she did at that moment. But. Yeah. <laughs> that, Paul, if that's all you learned from our school times, then job well done. I have a feeling that is all you actually learned. <laughs> I remember reading uh, Stig of the Dump. Okay. <clears throat> That's two things there. Two things, great. <laughs> so they get into the car and drive off, and they're watched by Gorman. Mm-hmm. Larkin's Rolls pulls up uh, outside. I guess it's it's a, kind of like a gentleman's club, but it's a sauna, swimming pool kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So he tells Fields that nothing should screw up because he'll be the one to take the heat from the rest of the organization, meaning the other crime bosses. And Fields reassures him. 
So he enters and he's walking around the swimming pool and the sauna. And as he's past, going past people, they're like saying hello. So he's quite well known here. I find these men's clubs all a bit... Suspicious? Suspicious, yeah. You <laughs> Let's use that word. You wouldn't hang out in a men's club? Not, not a men's club like this, no. I don't get the point of it. I know. I mean, I don't really want to hang out with other sweaty men. No. Really? Not since and, that time. And I certainly don't want to be lathered up like he is later in the in the movie. Leathered up? Lathered up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I going to say. <sighs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's not disgusting. It looked right. disgusting in this movie. I'm sure it's perfectly fine if, you know... I'm not saying it, there's anything wrong with it. Okay. Can you cut all that out, please? <laughs> so as he's walking around, he, uh, he asks for a bet to be put on the dog races. And he's kind of like the king of his tiny empire, right? Mm-hmm. Which is surprising, considering he's only been there, what, a few days, we think? Yeah, but he does say that he loves the clubs and the right. atmosphere. And so he's obviously been there before. That's true. Mm-hmm. So we're back with Fletcher and Brannigan, they talk about the fact that Brannigan was last in the UK during the war. And there's some gentle humor about Americans versus Brits. But all Brannigan wants to do is get a shower and a shave and get his hands on Larkin's lapels. Just he his does. suit, not him. <laughs> <laughs> Love what he's wearing. And doesn't uh, Thatcher say that uh, she's told that... <laughs> That's her name, isn't it? Thatcher? Down, down with the miners. No, it's Fletcher. Fletcher, is it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> it is the 70s. She seemed like a, a Thatcher. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, she's just like doing straw roofs. <laughs> no, no, she's privatizing everything. Oh. Um, she says that she's heard that all Americans were overpaid, oversexed, and over here. That's something my dad used to say. Oh, um, really? Yeah, that he, when he was a kid in the uh, in the forties, and they were they were everywhere. That uh, that's what people used to say about him. Hmm. Yeah, it is what they used to say. Not going anywhere. Oh, packed. okay. <laughs> nice. I'm just just giving you information. Nice. We we all appreciate information. Good. Good. Now he asks her if he can call her Jenny, mm-hmm. and he tells her a story about a girl he knows called Jenny lending him money when he was broke. Also, a story that doesn't really go anywhere. It's not, and that's a good move, isn't it? Really comparing her to a woman that you used to leech off back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, do you th- do you think that this chemistry between the two of them is a bit weird considering the fact that he's 67 years old well it doesn't go anywhere and it's not and i think they make pains to make sure it's not considered romantic by introducing a character that's only purpose is for that reason yeah the boyfriend yeah Yeah. it's to make sure that no one's going yeah this is a little weird but but there is a there is an element there that that if he was 20 years younger she probably would um yeah but that's fine right is it I think so. Okay. If All right. You, you think like if he was twenty years younger, he would. What's wrong with that? He's she'd not. Probably, she'd probably be six. No, well, she'd have to stay the same age. It's <laughs> like, like that, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're making it up anyway, so you might as well do that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, he's not sitting there going, "Oh, I wish you were six years old." <laughs> we're not implying that about John Wayne at all. No. Let's have. Let's keep some of our heroes, please. Yeah. <laughs> So back at the sauna, Larkin is heading for a massage. Uh, mm-hmm. As Larkin is being massaged, a delivery arrives. And it's one of those big steam boxes that you only seem to see in 70s and 60s films. Yeah. 
I was thinking when this massage started, do you think he'll get a happy ending from this dude? Um, no, not. I don't think he will. Well, he doesn't, does he? No. But... Uh, the masseuse. Uh, before, before, sorry, before the massage as well, when he, he jumps in the swimming pool. I've got to tell you, I was so glad that they panned upwards when he dropped that towel. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't need to see that. <laughs> John Vernon's flabby... Uh... Little lurking. Little lurking, yeah. <laughs> I was when, when it happened, I was like, whoa, oh, thank you. <laughs> what, you think, what kind of film you think you're watching? I hadn't seen it for a while. I'd forgotten. <laughs> it was the 70s. True, true. Mm-hmm. So the masseuse doesn't know anything about the delivery, but tells them to put it by the door. But the del- one of the delivery guys asks for a hand, and the masseuse goes to help him. And then one of the delivery men knocks him out. Now, this masseuse had a towel around his waist, and when they knock him out, he grabs the towel and then wipes his face with it. <laughs> Wait. The same towel that he was wearing. Oh, the the guy knocks him out, takes the towel? Takes the towel off him and wipes his own face with it. Oh. Well, maybe he just likes used towels. The smell of masseuse. That sounds like a great aftershave. It does. It sounds like a 70s aftershave. It as does. Well, it, it does. Although it sounds like a bit like it's something to do with moose rather than people who massage it. The smell of my moose. Yeah, the smell of my moose. <laughs> Pure oh. stag. so the delivery guy's an approach lurking as he dozes and then chloroform him they do and he goes out like a light he does which you would and then they put his body in the box that they brought in Mm -hmm. and they wheel him out under the noses of lurking's own security now nobody notices that they're wheeling out the same object that they just brought in (laughs) yeah maybe it was um Maybe the faulty, they've, you know, they've brought in a new one and they're taking out the faulty one. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. what they said, though. But yeah. yeah I, I, I was more, more distressed about the fact that they didn't dry him off before they put him in there. I mean, he's going to get really chapped. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Oh, that's so fun. You know, that they are kidnappers. Ah, yes. Mm. They're yeah. not exactly thinking of his welfare, right? True, but you say uh, the kidnappers, but well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so, back on the other side of town, Fletcher and Brannigan pull up outside of the Garrett Club. Brannigan goes in alone. It's a men's only club. Oh yeah. He introduces himself to the doorman, who makes him put on a tie. <laughs> now, when he when he puts the tie on and walks away, there's a moment where the doorman looks him up and down. Mm-hmm. Now, I couldn't work out whether this was one of those dodgy 70s mm, moments oh. or wh- whether it was a bloody ignorant yank moment. Let's go with the latter. Yeah, it's probably best. Yeah. Brannigan meets Commander Swan and offers Brannigan a sherry, but he wants a boiler maker instead. Mm-hmm. And Brannigan also really wants Lurkin. That's all he's focused on. He Swan tells him that Lurkin is under surveillance because he managed to get bail. Brannigan says they have the same law in the States, and that's how they lost him. Ugh, it's a bit curless, say Swan Smuggler. You don't worry, that won't happen here. <laughs> Swan invites. He's very, he's very good at Amber in this, I have to say. Yeah, he is. He's got. He's, he's all business, but he's got a little bit, bit of a mischievous glint in his eye as well, doesn't he, all the time? Absolutely, yeah. He looks yeah. like he's having fun. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's all in my wrap-up. Oh, right, okay. Swan invites Brannigan for a bit of lunch, and Brannigan orders egg, bacon, and pancakes. 
he doesn't say a bit of lunch. He says spot of lunch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> People really talk like this. <laughs> you don't call it a spot of lunch. I don't. No. Oh, trust me. If I have lunch, it's not a spot of lunch. But you are rather common. <laughs> <laughs> Swan. Ooh, look at you, eh? <laughs> Swan orders a Dover sole. Frozen Gracie. Now, now Swan tells him you shouldn't be wearing that particular item. And Brannigan says the guy at the desk gave him the tie, but then Swan says, I'm actually referring to the Colt 38 Diamond back. Mm-hmm. Brannigan says he always wears it. Swan points out it's a violation of British law. Brannigan says as a Chicago police officer, he's obliged to carry it. Swan's annoyed, but for some reason seems to let it slide. I'm not sure this is allowed. <laughs> he lets it slide quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Just because you're a Chicago police officer does not mean you can carry a gun wherever you go internationally. It's a good thing he did there because you know damn well that he'd have to prize that from his cold, dead hands, don't you? That's true, yeah. You know, he's not giving that up. Nope. Not the character or the man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But before Brannigan can eat his breakfast, Swan gets a message that Larkin has been kidnapped. Can't happen here, says Brannigan sarcastically. Swan is miffed, but then Brannigan says, well, cheer up, all we can lose is our jobs. It's true. Yeah, he seems very happy. Uh, and that's how, I, that's how I roll at work. It is, you just go, you just go in going, oh, well, it's another patient dead, but ha! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut that out, don't worry. <laughs> I'll leave it in, it's fine. Oh, we can lose, it's our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> So now we see Gorman arriving at a place that appears to offer private tuition in French. Yes, he's even got an evil-looking car as well, hasn't he? Yes, he does, <laughs> yes. So we cut to a man putting money in envelopes and sealing them up, and he's with a woman. And there's a it's, knock a bro- at- it's a brothel. It yeah. is a brothel, yeah, yeah. There's a knock at the door and Gorman enters. He says, a friend claimed you had a package for me. And the guy checks him out, and when he's happy, hands over the money, half now and half when the job is done. And he, so he's picking up his gun from this guy. But mm-hmm. seeing as Brannigan just walked through airport security with his in a holster, Garman really didn't have to bother with all this. He could have just taken it with him in his luggage. Yeah, but Brannigan doesn't look evil like this guy, though, does he? Oh, that's what it is. It's the look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they look at John Wayne. He's like, yeah, let him through. Look at this guy. Hey, no, I don't think so, mate. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Garman... Well, why, I was going to say as well, why are all um, 1970s brothel owners really camp? Oh, because he, he doesn't... He's not... He doesn't own those women, right? Mm-hmm. He's working for a, a pimp or a crime lord. So mm. if you're a crime lord running a brothel and you need a guy, you're going to choose a guy who's not going to be interested in the women that work there. You sound like you've thought this through a lot. No, I just, I just thought of that. I mean, a little sideline going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what's more important to ask is, are you the owner or are you the guy that they've gotten in? <laughs> Well, you can tell us. <laughs> Both. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> Good cutting costs. <laughs> well, there is a recession on. That's true. That's mm. true. But but that may make sense to me, right? Yes, that makes sense. That's a very good uh, hypothesis. Whoa, look at you with your fancy words. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you probably think that's some kind of triangle angle. <laughs> no, I thought it was uh, a big uh, mammal that wallowed in mud, actually. I, I thought it was a nightclub in Manchester. <laughs> it probably may well be, actually. Uh, I've got my big book of uh, big words out. Oh. Mm. 
Okay. It's I'm on H at the minute. It's a catchy title. Sorry, sorry, not H. I'm common Anna. Yeah. H. <laughs> you actually said it without the her sound the first time. Oh, did I? All yeah. Right. So <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, Goldman says the envelope containing the money feels a little light. The guy says it's just his usual commission. Not my end. Thurs, says Gorman. Mm-hmm. And the guy starts to panic, but then tells him to stay and talk to the woman who's made herself comfortable in the bed. So this guy yeah. leaves, and Gorman approaches her. He puts his hand around her neck. Gently, she says, I'm not kinky. You are what I say you are, he replies. What, and presses he... herder. He what? <laughs> he presses herder. All right, okay. Why, because he's a hitman, does he also have to be an utter shit as well? Um, I guess they're just... I guess because, uh, I don't know, because hitmen are. They're, they're callous and they're cold and they, they don't have feelings about people because they have to kill them. I'm sure they're not all like that. You, you think there's some lovable, kindly hitmen? You know, he goes Jovial. home, he, he, sit, you know, he'll sit, he sits and watches uh, the telly at night with his mum. Oh, and then... Wow, there's a show in this for you. You could write this. <laughs> Been done actually. Oh, is it? There was that uh, jo- um, Joachim Phoenix movie. Is it called oh. We Were Never Really Here? Or yeah, 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 yeah. That's like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and imagine you have to be a little lighter. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so back at Scotland Yard, Brannigan, Swan, and Swan's assistant Mike. Having a discussion about American versus British policing methods, mm-hmm. Brannigan says he intends to use his best methods to get Larkin back. And so they're looking through Larkin's belongings left at the sauna, and discreetly, Brannigan pockets Larkin's notebook. Yeah, he does. Swan says, There's something you're still wearing that bothers me. Brannigan takes his tie off and hands it to him, muttering about the old school tie. Of course, Swan was talking about the gun, but Brannigan just walks out. Mm hmm. He's not giving it up. No. What do you think of Brannigan, asked Mike. Well, says Swan, he's an American. <laughs> that was a good line. I like that. And it, do, you, do you use that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, but he's smiling as he says it, so I kind of think he admires Brannigan. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, some of it's kind of like, I wish I could be like that, but I can't. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Back in the car, Brannigan asks Fletcher why Swan, as a lord, would want to be a cop. Fletcher says because he's good at it. And Brannigan reveals that his son didn't follow in his footsteps to become a cop, but became a district attorney. Mm-hmm. Fletcher makes doesn't, a... doesn't she refer to him at one point as her Yankee slave driver? Oh, because he's keeping her out from Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bit of a... Mm. No, because don't don't... Wasn't that a thing? You you would say to somebody, oh, you're just a slave driver when you're in the 70s. That was the thing people said, right? People yeah, it's just were... Yankee slave driver. Well, he is. He's an American. I think you're reading I think you're, you're, you're looking at it. You're looking at it, and there's nothing wrong with that in modern eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think in the 70s, that would not have met, meant the same thing as well. No, no, no. I mean, there's a lot in this movie that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't have met with the same eyes. Right. You know, it, 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 it was just a line that stood out. All right. It didn't bother me, but I can totally see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. You wet liberal. <laughs> you should call me a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> so Fletcher makes a call to pass on a message to a guy called Richard, and that should be late. Richard is a husband, I assume, or boyfriend. It's not quite clear, right? 
Brannigan apologizes for ruining the social life and suggests they get some food because he still hasn't eaten. Unknown to them, Garmin is following. He is. He's not doing it very well, though, is he? Let's face it. In that sports car that makes a racket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's nighttime. Garmin watches Fletcher leave Brannigan and his small bed and breakfast that they've got for him. He sees a light mm -hmm. going in one of the windows. He drives away, but the unique sound of his sports car attracts Brannigan's attention. He looks out the window, then pours himself a drink. Yeah, does he always carry an emergency bottle of scotch with him wherever he goes? Yes. Who doesn't? <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> You're lucky it's not in a belt. Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get one of those. You're I'm right. gonna get one made, especially, especially custom, custom made belt. Work to work. No, I won't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Next day, Brannigan, Swan, and Larkin's lawyer Fields are listening to a ransom tape that Fields received. The Voice, mm -hmm. which is Larkin's, tells them that they are five envelopes and they are to put fifty thousand pounds in the envelopes and drop them in the mailbox in the centre of Piccadilly Circus at 11.45am. And he tells Fields to stay away from the cops because there's a gun at his head. Mm -hmm. Brannigan asks the lawyer why he's double-crossing Larkin. Fields says in Chicago he wouldn't have, but here in London, he thought it'd be best to go to the police. After all, it's Scotland Yard. So a bit more trustworthy. I guess. What he's saying. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. Which is also a digger, right, at yeah. Brannigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a record of Larkin's voice and they know it's him. Swan asks Fields if he can raise that kind of money in time, and he certainly can. And Swan says, well, we should just get on with it. Fields leaves, and we cut to Piccadilly Circus. Oh, this looks great, doesn't it? It does, yeah. 1970s Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it, it just... You know when you watch a, a, a modern movie that's set in the 70s and they try and recreate all this with CGI? Mm -hmm. Can't beat the, the actual the actual location itself. I mean, I know you can't go back in time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tricky. That would be, more, that would be more impressive than the actual film they made. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It just, it, just, it just looks great. Ever... Again, again, reminding me of the Sweeney, though, I have to say. Yeah, when you were a kid in the 80s, did you ever go to London? Not not in the eighties, no. Okay. This was all new to me when I. I mean, I, I don't think I went to London until the early nineties. Okay. Mhm. Mm so growing up as a kid, anything set in London was almost like set in a different country for hmm. me. Interesting. All right. Mm -hmm. No, I know not for you. No, we used to go a couple of times a year. Mhm. Mm Just because we have family there. Yeah. Swan arrives. His men are at different positions around Piccadilly Circus. Brannigan and Fletcher watch from a car. Now, the kidnappers can't see the coppers from the building overseeing the area, but they mm -hmm. know they're there. I could smell them, one says. I'll bet it was the 70s again. That's true. Whenever I see John Wayne in this with this, um, with his, uh, his jacket top, I always get the smell of, like, old cigarette and old yeah. spice kind of thing. Bit of brute as well. Yeah, brute, that yeah. kind of thing. Always... Mm -hmm. that. So meanwhile, Fields gets in his Rolls Royce with the envelopes and he's followed by the police. Mm -hmm. Swan and the other coppers watch him arrive. Fields gets out and places the envelopes in the post box. The kidnappers with, watch. And as he puts each of the envelopes into the post box, you get a music cue for every single envelope, don't you? Because the envelopes are musical. Oh, is that? I, oh, right. Actually, no, because in the 70s, post boxes used to play that noise when you put envelopes in. <laughs> 
Oh, I miss those days, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. Those musical post boxes, they were my favourite. You're lucky if you can find a bloody post box these days. Musical or not, right? Musical or not, yeah. yeah. I have to say, I do love a good old-fashioned 70s surveillance scene. Yeah, so do I. What is, what is just, it's, it's the way that, I don't know, they, they, they're very sedate in some mm-hmm. ways, and the music mm-hmm. is either they've not got music at all or it's yeah. very mellow. Mm-hmm. They always have a slow build as well, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and mm-hmm. the people are waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the part of me did wonder whether this whole sequence was designed just to let John Wayne have a bit of a sit-down in a car for a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you, you do know he probably wasn't on set all the time. I know, I know, but what I'm saying is when he was on set, he was sat in the car for most of the That's true, so. that's true, maybe. <laughs> you think the script was written around his age? Yeah, right. I think it might well have been at times. Okay, yeah. all right, that would explain the lack of action in this film. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, the drop is completed, Fields gets back into his car and drives away. The police wait. A protest match goes past. Do we know what this protest was for? Uh, they were protesting the amount of filming that was going on in Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> It didn't work then. No. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't I don't think you clearly see the ban- banners because it's filmed no. from the side on. It seems to be lots of people in white smocks, doesn't it? Ah, the good old white smock protest of 1975. <laughs> I don't remember that. But then again, I was only one, so... Yeah, the, the, the banners were like, smock it to them and things like that. <laughs> it's better than it was the, the protest against uh, cigarettes. It was the no smocking protest <laughs> got any more no no i'm done all right okay all right. so eventually a male van approaches could it be a female van but i think it's a male van oh my god <laughs> Sorry. so eventually yeah, a male... that, that was so out there that took a second to actually sink in i was like <laughs> so a post, a post office van approaches postman goes to the post box he opens it and places the mail into his bag throws it in the mail van and drives away. Brannigan says, too damn simple, and alerts Swan that the pickup has been completed. Brannigan and Fletcher follow the mail van. Around the streets they go. Eventually they come to a stop. Brannigan checks his gun for some reason. Just to make sure it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Fletcher watches him. I mean, she's clearly not impressed he's carrying a gun, but again, she says nothing. He's getting an itchy trigger finger. He hasn't shot anyone yet. That's true. That's true. Mm. Dirty Harry would have killed like five people by now. John Wayne would have killed at least seven That's at this true. point yeah. in most of his movies, wouldn't he? Yeah, it's a slow day. <laughs> it's a slow day. Yeah. So the mail van has entered the post office yard. Brannigan and Fletcher enter the post office. They're waiting to see who picks up the envelopes. Mm-hmm. Outside, a motorcycle courier pulls up. And it's Baldrick. That's right. A surprising choice. You never ever think you're ever going to see Tony Robinson on screen with John Wayne, do you? It's a weird Venn diagram that you would never think would be possible, right? It, it it's is. two you, totally different worlds. Imagine all the, the, the stars that must have aligned at that particular moment in time, you know, that, that got these two great bastions of, of entertainment together in one place. Yeah, it must have been one of his first gigs, right? It had to be. Yeah, Although like, he does have a line. He does, well, yeah. 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 And a comedy scream. Yeah. Mm. He enters the post office and requests the envelopes, and they're passed over to him, and he places them into a bag. Brannigan and Fletcher follow the courier as he gets back on his motorcycle and rides away. They follow him around the streets. Brannigan alerts Swan as to what's going on. Brannigan says, like I said, and Fletcher finishes the sentence, too damn simple. 
I, I, I have got to say, so far, I'm enjoying your John Wayne impersonations greatly. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's like it's like he's in the room. I close my eyes. It's almost like he's there. <laughs> you can smell the the brute. <laughs> I can, yeah, and um, almost hear the cock of that uh, <laughs> revolver can, I, in your oh, pocket. Oh, I'm glad you continued. Not hear your cock. No. The cock. No. No, not that cock. The, the right, cock let, the, let's the, just carry on. All right, that's enough cock. <laughs> so they follow the carrier, but not too close. The carrier pulls up into like the Darklands area, I guess. Takes the bag, walks across the dock, and stands at the edge of where there's just water, and then he throws the bag into the water. Brannigan yells, hold it, but the bag has already been thrown. When he reaches the carrier, he says, can you swim? The carrier says, yeah. So Brannigan pushes him in. <laughs> and he flails around a bit, screaming, doesn't he? Yeah, so can't swim then would have been the right answer. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. But in all fairness, he probably doesn't know he's going to chuck him in. That's true. Mm -hmm. As the carrier tries to keep afloat, Brannigan questions him. The courier says he didn't know there was money inside the envelopes. He was just mailed instructions and a five-pound note. This is a lot of work for a fiver. Oh, a fiver back in 1975 was probably like about 150 quid, wasn't it? By the, does, by Brannigan, does Brannigan realise at this point that he's carrying 500 quid with him and be like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> well, the old furnace, all he's done is buy a drink with it so far, hasn't he? Has he even bought a drink? Or has everything been provided for him so far? I guess so. I mean, he did have that bottle of scotch, but I kind of thought he probably brought that with him, didn't he? <laughs> Anything to clear? Yeah, a bottle of scotch and this gun. <laughs> All right, have a good day, sir. <laughs> you think on the other side of his gun holster, he's got a scotch holder? Maybe the 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 uh, the handle bit, it just opens mm. a little lever and it comes, just pours scotch out of it. Oh, even Space Cowboy didn't have that. Oh, he missed a trick there, right? Mm-hmm. So Brannigan opens the envelopes and it just contains newspaper. Yeah. He tells Swan, they pulled a Murphy, which thoroughly confuses everybody. <laughs> it confused me. I know, I had to look it up. Apparently it's a name for a confidence trick. Oh, right, okay. I didn't know. I'm glad you looked it up. Yeah. I wasn't going to look it up. <sighs> professional. Watching professionals. Just carry on. Back at the post box, they use a crane to lift it off, and they discover a hole underneath. So they tunneled from underneath, took the money, switched the envelopes, and put a false bottom into the post box using magnets, and then they escaped in the sewers. Yeah, when they remove the false bottom, he just lets all the mail fall into the sewer. Yeah. You, you, you screwed in one of those with your PPI claim, aren't you? You're never yeah, going to get that. No. No, that's tiny. Why would you? What would you be excused? Well, what happened was they lifted the post box off, and there was a hole because there was these thieves that were yeah. Just, just start, shut up. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> a likely story. Yes. Later, we cut to Garmin, who uh, the professional hitman. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still lurking. He's, he is. He's sitting in his car watching Brannigan's flat. Brannigan and Fletcher arrive. He tells Fletcher he'll just be a minute, and he goes into the B and B. Mrs. Cooper. The saucy oh. landlady who lives in the place <laughs> below asks him for a coffee, but he, you know, declines. This is another 70s trope, isn't it? The randy landlady. Yeah, yeah. Never met one. Such a <laughs> <laughs> what? Do you have a superintendent in your building, in your apartment building? Yeah. Is it a, is it a randy, uh, no. randy old lady? No. No. Really no. isn't. Quite the opposite. <laughs> Randy old man? No, what? Why would that? That wouldn't be the opposite, would it? Oh, uh, a very miserable um, 
repressed old man. Yeah. Is it? But he's not. He's a very nice guy. You'll just cut that out anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> I'm sure he's not listening. No, I'm positive he's not. <laughs> so he goes up in the elevator, enters his apartment or room. It seems a little big for a room, but we'll say room. When he mm-hmm. tries the door, he finds a stuff on the handle. He sniffs it. Now, I'm not sure what this is supposed to be. Is it like maybe kerosene or kind of accelerant so to increase the fireball? I just thought it was sweat. Sweat? <laughs> That's a lot of sweat, Paul, because it's hand-soaking. What, has Gorman got issues? <laughs> it, is, uh, it is an old-school mistake, isn't it? You know, always wipe wipe your hands before setting up an elaborate shotgun execution device. Yeah, don't don't leave a residue on the door handle. Oh, never do that. No, because <laughs> that's just going to be discovered. It just seems really curless. So I'm glad, we, he didn't, I'm glad he didn't taste it, I have to say. Oh, that would be good if he just put his finger in his mouth and just stood there for five minutes tasting each finger. He's like, hmm, yeah. this is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. wonder if it goes with scotch. <laughs> well, luckily, well, I've got a boss pulls out a bottle from his pocket. <laughs> so we see on the other side of the door is a shotgun has been rigged off, and it will fire off when the door is opened, right? Mm-hmm. So he quickly goes down the stairs, and he asks Mrs. Cooper if he's had any visitors. She's first, she's like, "No, no, no," and she says, "Oh, oi, a man came about the central heating." Mm. He goes she's back. The, to she's the landlady. Yeah, so you think she'd know more than that? You'd think so, wouldn't you? And why would a random man just turn up if he hasn't been called? Yeah, did they do that in the 70s? Hi, <laughs> central heating. <laughs> You've got a problem with your central heating? No, I haven't. Yes, you have. I should know. Yeah. I'm the central heating man. That's right. Yeah. So Brannigan goes back to his room, takes his gun out for some reason, moves to one side of the door and kicks it open. There's a massive explosion. Mm-hmm. A shotgun just explodes. Fletcher, hearing the explosion, runs into the building. Mrs. Cooper runs into Brannigan's room. What happened? Your essential heating friend left me a present. Very good. You're getting better. Yeah, it was actually pretty good, that one, wasn't it? Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very good, I yeah. surprised myself. <laughs> 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 Maybe the more I drink, the more accurate it'll get. Keep going, then. Right. <laughs> Brannigan goes into the bathroom. I, I, I don't get this bit. He goes to flush the toilet, then thinks better of it. He ties a cord around the chain and out the door. He closes mm-hmm. the door pulls the cord, and the toilet explodes, leaving a hole in the wall and the view of the Albert Memorial. I'd have to pay 25 grand to get at that view like that, jokes Brannigan. Now, um, okay. Why did Gorman put a bomb in the toilet as well as a shotgun? Well, I don't know, but I've left some bombs in my toilet sometimes. Yeah, I have seen that in your bathrooms, but... <laughs> Although I guess in furnace, if I just avoided being killed by a shotgun, I could be straight to that loo. Well, this is true. So, you know, he's taking, he's hedging his bets, isn't he? That in case the shotgun didn't work, you know he's going to need a crap. So Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Am Plus I... he's a big guy, so he probably goes quite regularly. Right, that's true. So we cut to Swan and officers examining Brannigan's room. Swan mm-hmm. suggests that Fletcher takes Brannigan out for dinner because they clearly want him out of the way now. Swan wants Mrs. Cooper to give them a description of the central heating guy. And then mm-hmm. she hits on Swan and offers him coffee. And he goes with her. Yeah, wouldn't you? If you were Swan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. She I mean, does. she's she's all right. 
I mean, it is like if it was seventies, you could just imagine her going, "Do you take sugar?" And then him looking at her breast and going, "Hmm, two lumps." <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone's been watching Bless This House this week, haven't they? Eh? <laughs> It's a very 70s thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Fletcher finds Brannigan a place to stay, which is next to her. Now, personally, I'd want him on the other side of town. You would, wouldn't you? You you know for a fact there's a guy trying to kill him now. Yeah, so you'd be like, okay, unfurling a map, and you're going, I've got a place for you to stay, and you just keep unfurling the map, and he's going, oh, seems a little (laughs) far, and then you're like, well, there's John O'Groats. There's Edinburgh. (laughs) It's a bit of a commute back, but, you know. but, but, But I'll be safe. Well, she she does kind of have a, a very happy-go-lucky lucky attitude to all of this, doesn't she? She does, yeah. Mm. She, she's having a whale of a time. Yeah, it's probably the most exciting thing that's happened to her in a while. What's the other most exciting thing, then? I don't know. I mean, I, I think becoming Detective Sergeant would have been pretty exciting for her. In the 70s, it would have been, yeah. Uh, that's one of the things this film does. It doesn't really mention or bother the fact that she's a woman. It doesn't, no. And it also doesn't feature her most of the time having a conversation about other men. So that's interesting. I mean, obviously, it's a cliche to give him, to provide him with a woman to look after him, you know. But And if she if she wasn't in this, the only other woman in the movie is the Randy Landlady. Yeah, it's very men-heavy. Yeah, oh, it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so over dinner, Brannigan asked her about some names from Larkin's notebook he pocketed earlier. One of them mm. is Jimmy the Bet, who turns out... What do, you think, what do you think he does for a living? Jimmy the Bet? Oh, mm-hmm. well, I think Jimmy the Bet is a missionary. He's a missionary. <laughs> All right. I, I think he bets on things. Do you reckon? Yeah, I think we might even have a scene with him betting on something. All right. Yeah. Doesn't does she say that he's a bookie, a grass, and a stoolie? Yeah. Doesn't she do it because Brannigan's not sure what those are? Yes, he doesn't know. He's not. He doesn't understand any of that, does he? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, she points out to him that he can't go around taking evidence and then asks why he's so obsessed with Larkin Brannigan tells her about a time when Larkin previously tried to take a shot at him and killed the rookie Brannigan was riding with oh you must have cared for him very much she says well that would have been a nice story says Brannigan but I didn't like him and he didn't like me he had a degree in criminology and he didn't like Brannigan's style so Brannigan says, my job was to keep him alive until he's tough enough and smart enough to work on his own, and I failed. I kind of like that, that they didn't give it a, a sob story. Yeah, because the way it's going, you think it's going to be, oh, the good old Rocky dead partner routine. Yeah, and it's not. It's like, no, mm. didn't like him. He didn't like me, mm. but, you know, he was my partner. And, and he just didn't like the fact that he died on his watch. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a call for Brannigan. Swan wants them to come back to Scotland Yard. Swan says that Brannigan's idea that Larkin stage his own kidnapping doesn't work because they've delivered one of his fingers. Now, I don't remember Brannigan having this idea. <laughs> no, he didn't, did he? Yeah, I don't remember. It just Mr. comes from nowhere. Mr. Off-screen conversation. Could have been a deleted scene. Could have been. So they've mm-hmm. printed, uh, they've got Larkin's prints and they've checked it and it's a match. Mm-hmm. Swan tells Fletcher to go get the photo fit of the bomber that was made from Mrs. Cooper's description. Meanwhile, Swan says the finger came with a demand for further money, including a penalty for Fields calling the police, and that any further communication will be done via radio on a marine channel, so no trace can be made. Swan has a great line. In all my years in the yard, I've never received a finger in the morning post. Yeah. That's a good I line. Think we, I think we, we could all say that, really. 
Well, unfortunately. <laughs> You've had the finger, have you? Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> With my morning post. Yeah, I bet you have. Yeah. <laughs> There's your package. <laughs> Sometimes getting the finger gives me a morning post. Oh, I'll bet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher shows Brannigan the photo fit and Swan tells Brannigan he needs to go back to Chicago. Swan also asks for the notepad back that Brannigan swiped earlier and Brannigan reluctantly hands it over. I do like the fact that Brannigan doesn't seem to be able to get anything over on Swan, does he, at all? No, no, he doesn't. I mean, it would have been very easy just to write Swan as a, a, spiff, a spiffy kind of tough guy who's, who's a bit thick. Yeah. But but they don't. he doesn't play it that way at all. No. There are some good character choices in this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Outside, Fletcher introduced Brannigan to her husband. And I think this mm-hmm. is the, what we were talking about earlier, that this is like in there just to kind of quell any romance ideas yeah. between the two of them. Because the, the husband guy actually says, um, I'm, pre- I'm glad that uh, Brannigan isn't 20 years younger. He actually says that to his face. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that if anyone said that to John Wayne's face at the time, he'd have probably knocked him spark out, wouldn't you he? You think so? You think? Yeah, I John, think so. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Brannigan tells her to take him to Jimmy the Bet. So there's a knock on Jimmy the Bet's door, uh, and he's forced to let Brannigan in. Brannigan tells Jimmy he found his name in Larkin's notebook. We should say Brian, uh, Brian Glover plays Jimmy the Bet. Yeah, and he's always good he's, in these roles. He, he's, he was a British staple um, of TV and, and films back in the 70s and sort of early to mid 80s, wasn't he? Yep, he's in the first Sweeney film. Mm-hmm. He was a pro wrestler at one point as well, wasn't he? British I didn't. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, and he's also in the one of the Aliens films. I can't remember which one. Alien Three. And he was also the voice of the Tetley's T Men. He was indeed. Yeah. 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 I, he, he was. I mean, he never played himself, didn't he? Yeah, pretty much, but he was he was good at it. Mm. Good at shouting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that 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 actually brings up a whole conversation about acting styles that we should talk about one day. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Just... But not here. No. <laughs> not now. Not now. <laughs> um Brian says I can ask questions easy or I can ask them hard. Jimmy pulls out a switchblade. This is what I answer with. Mighty persuasive, says Brannigan. I guess the questions can wait, but not for too long. Brannigan knocks a knife away and pushes Jimmy's head into the table. Would you like to try for England's free dental cure, or are you going to answer my questions? Why does John Wayne's punching sound effect sound like a bomb going off every time he throws one? Because if John Wayne hits you, it's like a bomb. <laughs> if he hits you, you stay hit. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Jimmy gives him a name, Drexel. What kind of name is Drexel? Sounds like a, a washing powder. It sounds like a, a, a type of really bad fountain pen, doesn't it? Wow, really? That's nice. <laughs> I like to write with my Drexel. Yeah. Okay. So well, that... no, my Drexel's running out. <laughs> <laughs> and they give him the name of a pub that Drexel hangs out in. So now we cut to Brannigan and Swan, and they're watching this pub. Although Swan seems more interested in buying meat from a butcher's stall. Yeah, what's he doing? I don't know. He's just <laughs> choosing his dinner, I think. <laughs> but he doesn't take it with him anyway. No, he doesn't. We've got to pick it up later. Oh right, okay. Yeah, right. he just said, put it aside. You know. This this is a weird sort of location as well. I mean, it's obviously a real location, but it's kind of like 
pubs and a street and a butcher's and it's all under a roof yeah i, I don't know if it's like covent garden area somewhere like that in the 70s mm. i'd like to know if that's still there yeah well if we'd done any research we could have found that out we could have done but yeah, yeah. we didn't typical yeah. Why is it always me? Why is it me? My responsibility. I'm not doing the lead this week. (laughs) They see Drexel walking into the pub. Brannigan asks to go in alone. Inside the pub, Brannigan starts to chummy up to Drexel. He buys him a drink and then Swan pushes his way in. Brannigan pretends not to know Swan and Swan says he's taking Drexel away. Brannigan stops him. Swan knocks Brannigan's beer over him and Brannigan punches Swan. Swan punches back. Brannigan knocks over another customer and a good old-fashioned Western-style barroom brawl kicks off. It is. I mean, it, even the bar itself looks its looks like a cross between a Victorian bar and a Western saloon, doesn't it? It's even got swinging doors. Yeah. yeah. And a piano player who stops. <laughs> yeah. And as the people are knocked onto the jukebox, it starts up. And then as people bump into it, it changes song. <clears throat> Sean of the Dead. <laughs> it's always a good gag I think they yeah. even do that in License to Kill do they? yeah in the bar fight at the, be- in, at the beginning oh, of License to Kill oh when he meets uh, Pam Bouvier mm-hmm. okay. yeah they do that in that as well and we get um, we get every stereotype you can we've got a sailor we've got a guy in a bowler hat and we've got falling <laughs> off the second level mm-hmm. yeah. it's a good fight it's it a is good a good fight. fight and Swan seems to be really enjoying himself he does he does. And then, He's getting to cut loose. He probably doesn't get to do this very often, does he? Right, right. And then a swan's fighting. Mike enters. And I like the fact that he makes his way over while totally avoiding anything of the fight. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. And then almost, he, almost, almost apologizing as he's walking around. People. Yeah, and then he starts reading information from his notebook about a suspect called Mrs. Rook, who's a librarian who had requested mm-hmm. plans and schematics for the sewers under Piccadilly Circus. And he's reading it as Swan is punching people and being hit. Mm-hmm. Now, as they talk, the fight continues, and there's a businessman trying to get into the pub, but he keeps <laughs> getting knocked back out. It's almost like a James Bond moment, this, isn't it? You could you could imagine this in a Roger Moore Bond. Yeah, totally. The businessman's mm-hmm. wearing a bowler hat. It's got like a comedy element to it. Mm-hmm. So but he has a good line in a minute, doesn't he? Yeah, because the police turn up and mm-hmm. one of the people they arrest is the poor businessman who's like, I didn't even get in to get a drink. I'm nothing to do with this. <laughs> he says, I'm nothing, it's nothing to do with me. I was only here for the beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good line. Uh, so Brannigan and Drexel, they kind of slip out the pub. They're going back to Drexel's place. Uh, the other kidnapper, yeah. though, is watching them through the cafe window. He, he invites a complete stranger back to his house for a drink. Yeah, like you've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, move, move on. All right. <laughs> I don't know quite how to say, answer that. So. <laughs> Back at Scotland Yard, they have Mrs. Rook in custody. Swan aggressively questions her. At first, she denies it, but then quickly breaks down. She admits giving the plans to her boyfriend, Freddie. Yeah, she 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 breaks down very quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, in fairness, she's not criminal. She's a librarian, so this is not yeah, her she, usual she spills place. The, she spills the beans. Doesn't she, she say, like, I'm a nice girl? She, she does, yeah. Which, which is like, I, I, isn't that a line from My Fair Lady? I'm a nice girl, am I? Or something like that. It just... I don't know, it's that kind of thing. I don't know, but I tried it once and it didn't get me out of trouble. Oh, really? Yeah. You weren't wearing the right clothes. Clearly I wasn't. Those workman boots and uh, donkey jacket that I had on probably didn't help. No, the donkey didn't like it either. 
Oh, it's like Morecambe and Wise, isn't it? No, <laughs> it's really not. Uh, back at Drexel's place. Now, Drexel is completely wasted. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough. He's like you on a normal podcast. I was going to say, ah. you know, I can sympathise. <laughs> oh, really? We're going to throw those stones, are we? Yeah. Did you listen to the last one? Nope. Well, you edited it. Yeah. Doesn't mean oh, I yeah, listened. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did it with earplugs in. And a blindfold. Yeah. Don't even see it. Don't want to see those wave farms. <laughs> so at first he's going to show Brannigan some like newspaper cuttings, but then realizes he hardly knows the guy. Mm-hmm. Brannigan takes him to the kitchen to make him some coffee and sober him up. Drexel sits in the chair near a window and just falls asleep. Meanwhile, Brannigan takes the opportunity to go back into the other room and take a look at those cuttings, and they're all about Larkin's kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other kidnapper comes down the fire escape. When Brannigan goes back into the kitchen to try and wake up Drexel, he finds out he's dead, shot in the back. Brannigan looks out the window and sees a killer running away. He gives chase. The man gets into a car. Brannigan sees a guy sitting in his car cleaning the window. He tells him to follow that car and gets in, except because it's in the UK, it's a right-hand drive. He's mm-hmm. sitting in the driver's seat. He'll have to drive himself. And he gives chase. And the poor panicking passenger tells Brannigan, it's a new car. And Brannigan drives like a madman. Could the owner of this car be any more British than what he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very apologetic. Woo! Woo! <laughs> oh, is that your idea of somebody being British? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't like car chases that are predominantly shot through the windscreen of the car from the inside, uh, from the inside Uh, pointing out. Right. Yeah. I need, I I like seeing the cars weaving in and out. And you do get a little bit of that, but it is predominantly shot through the windshield. And I don't like that. Uh, It's interesting to note that while the outside, we see them speeding along the streets. When we cut to the inside, we're actually in a car park. You can't, you can't really tell this. When mm-hmm. I watched some behind-the-scenes footage that showed John Wayne was actually driving the car at high speed around the car park. As they filmed him? Yeah. So, well, the, the camera rig is actually attached to the front, on the bonnet of the car, mm-hmm. and filming through the window. I think they actually take the glass out, and they're filming him, and he's, like, screwing it around this car park. I mean, he's actually a good driver, because that car must be all weirdly weighted because that camera rig is really heavy and he's yeah. driving at quite high speed but it's just a car park and then they move cars behind him as he's doing it oh that's um, interesting yeah. yeah and then obviously when he's on the actual road when they see the outside shots it's a stunt driver doing the work mm-hmm. yeah so they head to tower bridge which is being raised which mm-hmm. is something now that that would be hard to do in a film now because it's never raised anymore really no it's not no The kidnapper crashes through the barrier and jumps a small gap, but the bridge continues to raise. Brannigan jumps the now large space between the bridges, loses control when it lands and crashes the car. (laughs) Into a skip? Yeah, handy. Lands in a skip? It does, yeah. She's good because the door falls off as well. It turns into a clown car. (laughs) And then 18 people get out. (laughs) (laughs) Honk, honk. (laughs) Later, back at Scotland Yard, Swan asks him how he enjoyed his sightseeing tour. Mm-hmm. But Freddie has been brought in and is looking at mugshots. Remember, Freddie was Mrs. Rook's boyfriend. Yeah, and it's Alf Garrett's son-in-law, isn't it? And also um, future father of Sherry Blur. Wow, you're really uh, 
top of the information today. I know. I know. It's the only thing I've got. Oh, okay. Hey, well, he's not being cooperative. And then Swan asks him who sold the plans to. As Swan then takes a call, Brannigan tells Freddy that Swan once bit a man's ear off in a bear fight, that Swan is truly deadly. This seems to do the trick, because when Swan returns, Freddy tells him that a guy called Charlie Kane gave him a hundred quid for the plans. This interrogation scene is something that I, I think Life on Mars did very well at, at capturing. At right, time. yeah. You know, with, with the character of Gene Hunt, and yes. it, it kind of felt very similar to this. Yes. They put a photograph up of Charlie, and Brannigan recognized it as the man who shot Drexel. Mm-hmm. Swan tells him that Fields has called to say the kidnappers have radioed about the latest money drop. And then we, we cut to late at night. Gorman, the professional hitman. <laughs> I like that you keep, we keep reminding us. Because <laughs> I, I do keep forgetting. <laughs> pulls up outside Brannigan's new place. It's pouring with rain. He, he, must, he must have had numerous chances so far to just shoot the guy. You would think so, right? Yeah, I mean, he's walking around the streets all over the place. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, yeah. just pull alongside him, shoot him, drive off. Yeah. So Brannigan realises he's left his notebook in his car. Mm-hmm. Puts on, well, it's not his car, it's Fletcher's car. Puts on a raincoat and a trilby to go out and get them. Now, Gorman can see Brannigan putting on these clothes through the window. Mm-hmm. Gorman mm-hmm. prepares his gun. <gasps> this is his chance. It is. You think he's going to get it right? Fletcher meets him on the stairwell and says, oh, oh, don't worry, I'll get it. She throws on a hat and a raincoat. Coincidentally, and very unlikely, she also has a trilby. The, well, the weird thing about this whole thing is that up to this point, Brannigan's not worn a hat. You've not seen him with a hat. He's not been carrying a hat around. <laughs> yeah, he's not brought one. Maybe, maybe it was in, in this one scene, he's got a hat. <laughs> maybe when Moretti packed his bag, that's all he packed. What, the hat? Yeah, like Brannigan got to his place, opened the bag, and there was just a hat, and that's it. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got it now. I might as well put it on. Yeah, but only because yeah. it's raining. Yeah, because that's when you because that's when you put a hat on when it's raining. When it's raining, yes. yeah, a trilby that's not waterproof. Exactly. Yeah, but that's at it. least she makes a joke of having a trilby by doing an impression of an American detective. She does. So she even does. even the writer was going, "Oh, this is a bit shit." Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's make fun of it and then that'll pass by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, it's that classic technique of if something's really really pointless and doesn't make sense. You know, let the audience know that you think it's crap as well. Yeah, deflate it. Yeah, yeah. So she steps outside and Garman thinks it's Brannigan. Brannigan goes back to his room. He sees Fletcher getting the car from his window and he goes to get a drink. She bends down to get the notebook. Garman starts his car to slowly drive past her, levelling his gun out of the window. Brannigan hears the unique sound of the sports car. He sees what's happening. He smashes the window. He shoots through the broken glass. Fletcher ducks. Garman speeds away. Luckily, she isn't hurt. Now, at this point, let's be honest, Garman is like Wildy Coyote. <laughs> what, you think he's going to paint a big black circle onto a wall later? See he when might he as well. He keeps that. trying all these things to get Brandingham, who's Roadrunner, and just keeps failing every time. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. I mean, he, he could have picked a noisier car for his murder mobile, couldn't he, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. De- de- he definitely couldn't. It, it was, yeah, very loud. And what, distinctive. What was the slow motion as well? Oh, it wasn't. When, when, that... when he's reaching for his gun, Brannigan. Well, that's he's old, isn't he? Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> that was marble speed. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, next day, Swan is livid. Mm -hmm. He lists all the things that has happened since Brannigan has arrived. Now, Mike comes in with a picture of the hitman. The phone rings. It's for Brannigan. It's his son. And they're talking about shares of something called Jupiter Equity Fund failing and that Fields, which is Larkin's lawyer, has a lot mm -hmm. of those shares. And he shares this information with Swan. Mm -hmm. So we know something's up, but we don't get the full information. We cut to Fields' place. Swan, Brannigan, and Mike are waiting for him. Fields arrives and says he has the money for the payment. Swan tells him that they have new information and then they'll have Larkin home safely in four hours. He tells Fields to hold off paying the money. Fields says no, this time he's doing it properly. Swan shows Fields a picture of Charlie. Swan insists they give them the time. Now the voice comes over the radio and we cut to a dock area and we see mm -hmm. Charlie's radioing instructions to Fields. Charlie tells him to come alone. Fields tells him there's a problem with the bank. He needs four or five more hours. The kidnappers give him the time, but they're suspicious. Fields tells Swan, okay, you've got your four hours, but if you don't achieve anything, I'll make the payoff and I won't tell you cops where or when it is. And then he leaves. This Charlie guy, his full, his full uh, name is Charlie the Handle, isn't it? That's right, yeah. You don't get yeah. that anymore, do you, people with names like that? No, you don't. It's a shame. Mm. Yeah, it's... What would yours be? Um, Colin the Inscrutable. <laughs> <laughs> What would mine be? Paul the Flaccid. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a line earlier in this film where uh, Fletcher says to uh, Brannigan, "You're you're just so damn solid." That's me. Paul, so damn solid. Paul, so damn solid. Crew. So, so solid crew. Very good. <laughs> no, Paul is solid. Paul the solid. That just sounds like something you can't flush. <laughs> it's like, oh, can't. look, I got another Paul the solid. It's not going <laughs> anywhere. It keeps clinking to the side. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Ram it with Charlie the handle. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go down. <laughs> what about your brother? Oh, Barry the fork. <laughs> You're not going to fork it, are you? <laughs> no, but he's got it's Charlie the handle and Barry the fork. It's fork handle. <laughs> Is that what you were building up to? Yeah, that's what I was building up yeah, to. Right. <laughs> In his underground perky space, Fields' mechanic finds a long-range homing device under his car. You can't trust anybody, mutters Fields. It's a good job that he took him to the right mechanic. If this had been the mechanic that I use sometimes, you'd have gone in there with a squeaky door and you'd come out with a new set of wheels and a gearbox. Yeah, right. So Fields drives off, followed by the police, but he knows they're there. Mm -hmm. They decide to stay back because, you know, they've got the homing device, but Fields attaches the device to a passing truck. Mm -hmm. The police end up following that instead. After some time, they see it fixed to the van and they realize they've been hard. They have. Yep. Fields switches cars. He drives towards the docks and reaches the kidnapper's location. It's an abandoned factory on the river edge and there's kind of a dirty beach alongside as well it, it looks like a post-apocalyptic wasteland this place doesn't it yep. it looks like something out of mad max yep 70s england 70s england or 2019 in england after uh, march Brexit. 29 that's true right <laughs> like a, do you remember like stanley kubrick did full metal jacket in london yeah, docklands yeah. well yeah. you know they can do another one in the future yeah the great days are coming back yeah <clears throat> he walks in on the kidnappers like and yells at him Make the payoff. Not yet, says Fields. He knows the kidnappers. Fields gives them the money. Larkin tells him to take the cuffs off. 
And Larkin, he kind of starts to wander about Fields. He's getting a little concerned that maybe Fields is going to double-cross him because this has all been he a is. setup from the beginning. Yeah. Fields puts a gun to Larkin's head. Never trust anybody, he says. And then he turns and shoots the kidnappers. And one of the kidnappers is played by Don Henderson. He is, yes. Yes, I, I use a surprise. Yeah, and he's a famous British actor who did a lot of TV shows. He did uh, Bullman. Yeah, Bullman. X, XYY Men. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Strangers. Mm-hmm. And played the same character on all three of those shows. <laughs> a lot of them did that, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullman, singer. So it's, it's a it's a double it's not just a double cross it's a double double cross it is yeah mm. so then Larkin starts to laugh and they hug and Phil says we pulled it off now they can both flee to South America and be rich on the money that they got for the kidnapping right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Phil's uncuffs him Larkin says for a minute he thought Phil's was gonna get get greedy Phil's agrees it did pass his mind but you have to trust somebody they throw the money at each other laughing but then something in the f- hits the floor spinning and i like this scene i like that they just show it just spinning yeah they just stir at it in yeah. silence don't they lurkin picks it up throws it to fields and it's a homing device mm-hmm. suddenly Brannigan kicks the door open knock knock call back yeah he just loves kicking shit in doesn't he yeah mm-hmm. dirty shoes Do- what <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about your fetishes, Colin. Right, okay. Oh, yeah, let's not do that. Oh, God, oh, no. <laughs> Can you be removed off the air of your podcast? No, no. I, <laughs> no longer available on iTunes. <laughs> I wonder why. Drop the gun, he says, unless you want to sing soprano. Swan enters. Earthy, but I have to agree with my friend. Mm. Mm. It's a good line. Yep, so they do drop the guns, and they're all arrested. Not mm-hmm. a dirty stretch of beach alongside the warehouse. Fields and Larkin are cuffed and they're put away in police cars. But Fields like makes a sarcastic bye-bye, and I mean bye-bye. Oh, because he knows something, does he? He does. They know that Gorman E. Coyote might appear <laughs> at any point. <laughs> so they drive away, leaving Fletcher and Brannigan alone. Fletcher mm-hmm. offers Brannigan a lift. Suddenly... <laughs> Did no one see him? He's just standing there with his car door open, standing there with his gun in his hand. So he must have driven there, and that thing's not quiet, as we've discussed earlier. Anyway, suddenly Garmin speeds along. He clearly hasn't got the message that this is all over. He's just Mm -hmm. hasn't he just seen the guy who's supposed to pay him be arrested? (laughs) He has, yeah. At that point, you'd be thinking, I'm not getting that check. Unless he's paid him up front. Well, oh, he's paid half. He hasn't got the other half. I suppose he could go back to that guy and get the other half. Ah, but he's got professional pride. You know what I mean? Really? He, if he's going to do a job, well... <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know is that he's blagged this entire operation. He's uh, he's actually his first ever job as, oh, a, pro- as okay. a professional hitman. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've lied on your, um, on your resume, haven't you? I've never written hitman. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Anyway, there's always time. He's less of a hit man, more of a shit man. I thought you were going to go with Miss Man. But... Oh, no, no, it's better than that. All right, okay. M- mildly. <laughs> mildly, yeah. yeah. So as he speeds along, Fletcher calls out to Brannigan, who sees the car at the last minute. He's knocked over, but he's okay. Garman returns for a second try. He misses them. Brannigan shoots, but misses. Garman speeds past, firing his gun. Brannigan ducks out the way and returns fire. 
Garman drives back. Brannigan aims. The car gets close, closer. Now Brannigan stands his ground. He's not going to move. The car is getting closer and closer. Finally, Brannigan opens fire and hits Garman in the face. The car swerves away, flies over the edge, lands upside down in the mud and water, then mysteriously explodes. Ah, uh, the good old classic exploding car routine. You can't beat it, can you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure McHugh ends with a gun battle on a beach between cars. It does. It's yeah. very similar to this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Brannigan gets into a taxi at the Tower Hotel. Not sure why he's suddenly staying there. <laughs> Maybe he upgraded himself. Yeah. All right. For the last day. For the last day, he might as well. He's still got. He's probably still got about four hundred quid of his five hundreds in his pocket, burning a hole, hasn't he? That's true. And uh, and this is the Sweeney connection. The end of the first Sweeney film finishes outside the Tower Hotel. Oh right. Okay. Same location. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Would have, I would imagine r- roughly around about the same time. Oh, uh, yeah, the Sweeney was uh, a couple of years later. It was 1977. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. So I guess Tower Hotel was a popular thing to have in your films, you know, like a spot or something. I don't know. It doesn't mm, look very attractive. Maybe it was. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Brunningham says bye to Fletcher. Taxi drives away. Uh, and we have some 70s game show music, don't we? Yeah, look what we could have won. Yeah. <laughs> no, McHugh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, what did you think of Brannigan? Well, it's, it's no dirty Harry, is it? Let's face it. Not by anybody's standards. But you've got to say that it does move along really fast. And there is a couple of nice action sequences in it. You know, the car chase yeah. isn't too bad. If you, have, if you, as I say, I don't really like the way it's shot, but right. there's a nice stunt at the end of it. Yes. Um... I like the ending. The ending is very 70s. It's very dark and miserable. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. John Wayne's always watchable, isn't he? Yes. yes. As we said before, he's um, it, it's not really his natural environment, is it, this kind of a movie? But I think he's movie star enough that without him in it, 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 wouldn't, it would kind of fall apart a bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not got as strong a script as something like Dirty Harry. And I, I would say the same for Richard Attenborough. If it wasn't him in it, it wouldn't work. Yes, yes. It, as I was going to say, Attenborough's having a blast, isn't he? And, yeah. Um, the chemistry between John Wayne and Richard Attenborough, it, it's really, really fun. Yes. You can see that they're having a good time with each other. Yeah. I, I like the 70s London setting. They make good use of it. And the music's really, really good as well. All that, it, It's one of those films that if you take away certain elements of it, it's not a strong enough film to stand up on its own, but if you put it all together as one, right? It's good fun. Okay. Um, the weird thing is that I always thought that McHugh and this were actually linked together. I kind of thought I, I don't know why, but I always thought that they were one was a sequel to the other. But he plays completely different characters in both of them, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But I can I can understand why you think that because they came out so close together, and it's the only kind of detective films he did. Modern mm-hmm. day. I think McHugh's a better movie, but this is more fun. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. I think because it's got Richard Attenborough. Right, it. right. But it's it's definitely a product of its times. Yes. I, I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, it's think... a hit. It's a hit. Oh, it's me. a hit. It really it's is. But but, yeah. you, but you're, you're 50-50 on that, right? I'm, I'm 50-50. It could go either way. But uh, if you ask me tomorrow, I, I might change my mind. But okay. at this moment in time, as I'm sat here thinking about it after we've just talked about the whole movie. Yeah. I'll say it's a hit. Okay. But but McHugh is the better of the two. For me, it's one of those films that you remember having 
far more action in it than it actually does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's certainly watchable, and it's one that I can throw on, and it passes the time. And like you said, it's always great seeing 70s London. But they could have made more out of the fish-out-of-water aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Richard Attenborough in it because he could have played the character as being somebody who hated Brannigan and was just yelling at him all the time. But he plays it with a mix of admiration and annoyance. That's a nice touch. Yeah, and he could also have played it the other way. And uh, as I said before, played him as uh, an idiot, couldn't he? Uh, yes. You know, a toffee-nosed idiot. Yes. Who, yeah. But like Fletcher says in it, he's actually good at his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's very good at his job. Yeah. So this was made four years before Wayne died, and he was 68. So he's probably too old you know you could say he was over the hill but then a year later he made the shooters which is a really good western mm-hmm. um, I, I think being john wayne helped him through that yeah yeah i think another actor of the same age probably wouldn't it wouldn't have worked as well yeah so for me there are better john wayne films out there i mean the actor did over 200 of them and if i wanted to watch a dirty harry knockoff then i'd watch one of the later dirty harry films because <laughs> they were knockers of themselves, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. It's fun. Oh, I'm 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 struggling here because I'm not sure it's a hit, but like you, I could easily, depending on my mood, be persuaded mm-hmm. to say it is. Ooh, what do I do? Is it do you think that McHugh's the better movie of the two? Yes. You do? Yes. But that still doesn't mean that this isn't good fun. Right. So are you basing whether you think it's a hit on the movie or how it makes you feel when you watch it? I always thought that we always tried to do a, a, a sort of mix of the two and then come up with something in All right. the middle. All right, it's a hit. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were going to do that. Yeah, yeah I thought you were going right. to go that way. Okay, it's fun. There we go. So if you'd like to suggest a film or TV show, then you can send an email to retrospection at email.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at Retrospecky, and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. You can also listen to the themes and songs from the films and shows we review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, if you'd like to help keep our old episodes online and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server costs by supporting us via patreon.com forward slash retrospection, and that'll keep the adverts away. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters who make sure another month goes by that Paul doesn't find himself laying in the gutter. (laughs) More than you know. More than you know. Now, before I say what we're doing next time, I'd like to point out that technically this is episode 49. If you exclude the specials and if you include the Tank Girl one, which I'm not in, which makes that the Never Say Never Again of retrospection. (laughs) Very good. I like that. So uh, next one will be episode 50. Now, I don't think we've got anything really special planned, but... We're going to start flashing. Oh, you may. I may not. Oh, go on. You know you want to. So we're going to do Flash Gordon. Flash. Ah, he's the saver of the universe, you know. Is he? Really? That was all a bit partridge, that, wasn't it? It was a little, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to do... Flash Gordon from 1980, directed by Mike Hodges, which is still a bizarre concept. It is, the guy that directed Get Carter, the original Get Carter. Yeah, yeah, starring Sam Jones and Melody Anderson. (laughs) What a cast. Max von Sydow. Yeah, it's a great cast. Timothy Dalton. And, um... Brian Blessed. And Ornella Mutti. Yeah. We're going to do this... Wow, could you sound any more creepy... (laughs) 
He's like, yeah. Oh, you, you, oh, what can you say? You don't have to say anything. You, you don't. You just go. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So we we should say that we're going to do this slightly different, aren't we? We're going to split it down the middle, rather than one of us taking on the full task of uh, doing the scene by scene rundown of the movie. You're going to do half, and then I'm going to do half. That's different. Mm-hmm. And if we everyone's lucky, we might have a little chat about getting to episode fifty. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, because we we very rarely ever talk about us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, on a offer, you never shut up about yourself. <laughs> All right. So until next time, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>